is in cleveland right now because i'm sweating inside and my ac is like 69 nice it's super it's 79 degrees but it's very humid welcome back to the dogs of war podcast (laughs) hey we're been recording (laughs) welcome back to the dogs of war podcast ladies and gentlemen if you maybe have already heard his voice uh chiming in a little bit we have a very special guest joining us this week mr ben axelrod ben is a digital sports reporter correct me if i say that wrong for wkyc channel 3 in cleveland ohio he writes, well, if you follow the Browns of, of, in any extent on social media, you know who Ben Axelrod is. Uh, ben, thank you for joining us. And it's amazing because you've already known Raleigh for years. So the fact that you came on after already knowing him for that long is a, <laughs> is a huge, huge uh, accomplishment. So thanks for joining us and welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, any, anything for Raleigh. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Can I edit that part out? Yeah, no, you bet stay. That part stays. Your title, just like every other people in sports media, your yeah. title is different on every website. Did I somewhat say that right? Yeah, yeah it's uh, digital content producer, but okay. I have like a focus on sports. So I don't, I don't know. I don't have like an so official, the dream official job, title. essentially. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So Kevin asked me if I wanted to intro Ben. I said no for that reason. I'm like, I have no idea how to do it. <laughs> like, Ben, we have a lot of old-time listeners, new-time listeners. One thing we like to do is love to hear about, you know, just the the 50,000-foot look down, you know, your journey to how you got to WKYC. You know, were you a Browns Cleveland fan before? Were you roped into this cursed lifestyle from the job? Enlighten us, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So uh, I grew up in Dublin, Ohio, just outside of Columbus, and uh, had a father, have a father, he's still with us, uh, who is a uh, diehard Cleveland Browns fan from Akron, Ohio. And uh, so I was born into this. I, you know, for as, I, I remember after my, must have been after my fifth birthday party, uh, that was the day that Bill Belichick cut Bernie Kosar. That's like one of my oh. first memories is my dad. I mean, this was before the internet. He must have heard it on the radio or something driving home from my birthday party, like, and cussing out the the radio because Bill Belichick cut Bernie Kosar. Um, everything like in the mid nineties is blurry. Like I can't tell you I remember the Browns moving. It, it's but I knew know they went away and knew that Cleveland had a team and then didn't have a team and obviously knew they were coming back in nineteen ninety nine. And so um but from nineteen ninety nine on, I mean I've been following this like week in and week out and um I mean nineteen ninety nine I was eleven years old, so still just a kid then and um, I graduated from Ohio state and got into sports journalism, covering Ohio state football and basketball and did that from 2011 to 2017. And then in 2017, uh, got hired up at WKYC channel three up here in Cleveland, largely because I had built like a decent sized following tweeting about Browns games and, and Cavs games in Cleveland stuff. So 
to go from that being just, you know, a drunk idiot in the Muni lot to now I'm um, covering the Browns and being, you know, a, a big J journalist, you know, uh, up in the press box. Uh, it's a little different and it's definitely a different perspective. But uh, yeah, really since 2017, been been covering the Browns here for WKYC. So i uh, already seen a lot here in these last four years. We're all very proud of you, Ben, when uh, you got that <laughs> blue check mark by your name. Uh, holy shit. He did it. Yeah. I don't know how many. <laughs> you can take the boy out of the Muni lob. You can't take the Muni lob out of the boy up in that up in that press. That's box. right. So it's gonna be. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. You know, last year I didn't have too much FOMO because there was no uh, Muni lot. 2019, heading into that opener, uh, I lived downtown actually in 2019. I remember me and my my wife driving to our apartment and like you would have thought like it was an afc title game the next day just with like the buzz in the city for for that titans opener and i had so much fomo walking to the stadium to to cover the game and by halftime that fomo had dissipated um because of the way the game was going so this year will be interesting i i think i'm gonna have a lot of fomo this year we were at vivid memories yeah i have vivid memories of almost every play that, that honestly rivals for our Ohio State fans out there. It could be a tie between the 2006 Florida game and the that opening game in 2019, where you're just stoked uh, the Ohio State Florida national championship game, <laughs> the football one, and started with a touchdown, and then things just dropped and our spirits with it. I remember, I remember looking at my dad, the first series, I think we got three or four first downs in a row. I look at my dad, I go, we've never seen three or four first downs in a row at a Cleveland Browns game. Uh, and then the last thing I remember outside of the, what, 18 penalties we got or however we broke the record was <laughs> just the blur of Derrick Henry running back and forth mm-hmm. up and down the field all day long. That's still like a PTSD thing for me. Yeah, that was, uh, but Hey, we're not here to reminisce. Yeah, we're not on going to the, the back. The <laughs> times. But let's just re- remember, like, stay humble. Great, great segue, great point. Then and now, before we hopped on the mic here, I was looking. At, I was talking to Raleigh. They announced this yesterday, I think, but it's not really picking up a, a lot of traction yet. For week one against Kansas City, we have Jim Nance, Tony Romo, and Tracy Wilson on the mic on the call for the game. Yeah, I'll tell you what's funny is actually uh, Jim Nance, uh, Tony Romo, and Tracy Wolfson were on the call for that Titans game. 2019, they they were scheduled for more primetime games than I think anyone in the league, more games yeah. than they were this year. But I think this year, like, it's just more legitimate. You you saw the Browns, like, actually have sustained success last season. And then going back to that 2019 game, I remember sitting in the press box and thinking, like, because I was very optimistic about the Browns going into that year, like I think a lot of people were. But I was just like trying to play devil's advocate and worst case scenario and being like, okay, if this goes poorly, what's it going to look like? And I just remember thinking, man, these offensive tackles are not very proven. Like you have Greg Robinson, you have uh, Chris Hubbard. Like these are not two proven quality offensive tackles. This year, like I think you look at this roster, I think you could point at defensive tackle maybe as like the big question mark. But Outside of that, like I and I don't think having bad defensive tackles is going to like nuke your whole season. Like having two bad offensive tackles is. So uh, I just think this is a more complete roster. I'm a big believer in Stefanski. I think the continuity from year to year one to year two. I think that's a real thing. So um, yeah, I, I, I do think you know the the hype for this season 
mirrors 2019 in a lot of ways, but but I think it's more justified than it was back then. Double double segue. We got a double segue. Uh, one, <laughs> Stefanski. There's few of us in this world that have the privilege of seeing that jawline up close. I would love to hear you describe it. Uh, two, kind of <laughs> like to expand upon the um, – I think – I think Baker's criticism is – I feel like it's slowing down. I mean, it doesn't really matter. He's going to do what he's got to do anyway. But I, I think that my, my theory, or maybe our theory, Kevin, is that I don't think Cleveland's ever had a quarterback problem, per se. They've had a front office head coach ownership problem. And it's like, all right, statistically – all of these guys were professionals. Somebody should have accidentally had a winning season. Well, I guess uh, we did in 2007. But going from the same system one year to the other, it's like the linemen are reading a phone book worth of plays, audibles, cadences, whatever. And it's like, yeah, the quarterback, they all have to do that. Now they're not starting on step one. Like how important do you guys think that or how important do you believe that the same head coach back-to-back years will be for this team? I, I think it's – one, to to talk about Stefanski's jawline yeah. real quick. More uh, importantly, yes. I know it's the jawline that gets, like, the bulk of the attention. I'm more impressed with his beard, just as a, a bearded man myself. Like, I don't – I want to know if, like, he's using a number two, a number three, if he does it every other day. Uh, every day, like, the, the beard is always in place. So I think – uh, the beard deserves a little bit more love. Um, outside of that, though, the continuity between the quarterback and the head coach, like when was the last time the Browns have gone into a season with the same quarterback and the same head coach? Like I know they went into three seasons with Hugh Jackson as the head coach, but it was a starting quarterback that was different every time. Um I mean, everything before that is just a total blur to this point anyways. Mm-hmm. So, um, But I, I think not only the – yeah, yeah, I guess it would have been Derek Anderson in for two thousand and um seven to two thousand eight. Yeah. Yeah, that that's crazy. Um and so I, I think not only that you have that continuity, but that it's like a proven formula that you had you know, we saw Baker Mayfield legitimately grow throughout the season with Kevin Stefanski in place. And and you'd like to think that that growth is going to continue into this off season and and continue into the season. So I just think it's something like, this is the first time you can like point to tangible success that you're building on from that relationship between a a head coach and a quarterback. When a lot of times you haven't even had that relationship to point at as something to to build on. Have you ever seen Baker more locked in? Because in the clips I'm watching, in the interviews I'm seeing with him, you're, you've actually been there and seen it in 3D. We have not. He just looks like a completely – now, obviously, everyone grows up from rookie year to second, third on. He just looks like he's in – the way he's moving, the way he's talking, the way he's acting, he just looks like he's in, like, the best spot right now. Yeah, I, I think he is a um, – I mean, I, this is funny because, like, I feel like Baker's been treated like an adult ever since he came into the league mm-hmm. because I think he was 23 when he got drafted, which, I mean, technically you're an adult, but you talk about the change for any of us from 23 to 26, like those are really, really formative years. Like the, that, that's a really big, and that's not even factoring in, you know, everything having been under the spotlight since he was 19, 20 years old. Um, I just think like he has matured. And I don't mean that like in a way like, 
you know, he's not grabbing his crotch on the sideline. He's he's not getting pissed at the media, any of that. I mean that just in terms of like, I think he like, he knows who he is and, and he's comfortable because he's always had to balance that line of, you know, being the, the cocky quarterback and also being what is a quote unquote franchise quarterback in the face of a franchise. And I think like he's figured out how to put his spin on being a franchise quarterback. And um, to your point, like, I think that's carried over onto the field. He, he's in tremendous shape. Uh, he is balling out like in training camp. I mean, we used to cover Brown's training camp or follow Brown's training camp, and they would go entire practices without scoring a touchdown. And now, like, <laughs> it seems like even if you're just following this thing on Twitter, like, there's a touchdown pass to JoJo Natson. There's a touchdown pass to Donovan Peoples-Jones. He's locking in on Kaderil Hodge. Like, I think just like he – you're right. I mean, I think he's totally locked in, but I think a big part of that has just been, like, finding his voice and, and finding like a comfortable version of himself. Like, like, you know, I think happens with a lot of 26 year olds. And yeah, for, for the jump between Raleigh and you can go, you know, for most people going from age 23 to 26, the biggest difference is you might go to the bar three nights instead of four nights a week. Now <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about that. Um, I feel like there's a, uh, there's like a constant theme in my life. I, I feel that it's not un- unique to me where it's like you're constantly looking at yourself two years ago and you're like, oh, what the hell was I thinking? Like <laughs> think about the jump from freshman year to sophomore year of high school to senior year to a senior to a freshman in college to an upperclassman to like a young adult. So, yeah, I mean, people grow older, grow wiser. And I agree. I think he is kind of figuring out how it all ties into I – mean, he's always been smart. I, I I, to be clear, we're not saying that Baker was ever like, you know, a problem child. I think he got pa- painted as one. I don't think he ever really was one. He's just growing older and uh, more badass as a quarterback. Um, back on uh, training camp or uh, preseason analysis, so to speak, as we're talking about things that we've never really come across as fans, reporters, etc. The starters, the quarterback particularly, not taking the field yet in preseason. Do you have any takeaways? from that yeah so i mean one i think it's like a good thing like i think it's a positive thing that they are trotting out brock osweiler and cody kessler and deshaun kaiser and trying to figure out like who the starting quarterback is going to be oh thank Um, god yeah i i was having flashbacks watching them play the giants in a preseason game of deshaun kaiser lighting up the giants fourth stringers and lighting the city on fire but uh, I think that might have been the first Browns game I covered, like as a as a journalist. Um, He's still in the league. Is Kaiser still in the league? I don't think he is. I he was with no. the Packers and with the Raiders, and mm-hmm. I don't think he's with either of them. Last um, time I saw him play, Khalil Seahawks, Mack just maybe. took the ball out of his hands. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, I, I, it's going to be interesting because I. Just like the sense I'm getting, like reading between the lines with Stefanski, is I think the guys are are maybe going to play against Atlanta on Sunday. It kind of seems like they've been doing a a slow ramp up. Like you know, week one they really took it easy. Week two they went through full warm ups, um, but they didn't play. And now maybe they're going to go through four, full warm ups and play for a quarter or so. Um, but I kind of also like the train of thought that. 
Like, I kind of think that maybe they'll get here and just be like, hey, we've made it this far. We're two weeks away from the season. The offensive line is a little banged up right now. Like, let's just, like, get to Kansas City healthy um, and and kind of go from there. So I could see it going both ways this week. But, um, I yeah, I mean, I don't I, – I think it's a positive that, that none of the starters or key contributors have – really played all that much in the preseason because I think that that means you have a roster really full of established guys. I think there's some guys uh, looking ahead to, I agree with everything you just said, but I was going to ask this last, but now that we're here, when we go against Atlanta this coming weekend, I think that Spansky still hasn't announced his plan yet. He has a plan, but he hasn't announced it yet. I think we can for sure, obviously guarantee we're not going to see Chubb, Hunt, Odell. Yeah. What are your thoughts on maybe if Stefanski, and maybe not even the full O-line, but gives Baker and some of the boys like a a 10 snap count. And like, no matter how long it takes, you're getting 10 snaps. That's one series, two series. You seem to say you're going to play the first quarter, one series. I mean, he's impossible to read because he's so Belichickian at what he does. A little nicer though. But (laughs) has there been any, any even debate or or thought about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess my thought on it would be at like, what's the point? Like, what, what are you getting out of 10 snaps, uh, you know, behind against the real defense where Baker can get tackled, he can get hurt, uh, you know, like I said, a, a behind a banged up offensive line. I guess that's where, for me, the push and pull is how much playing time do you need to get for it to be worth your time? And I think that probably goes to like at least a quarter, maybe more than a quarter. And I don't really see the Browns doing that, especially like you said, you know, knowing that, the running backs and Odell and Jarvis probably aren't going to be out there and, and the offensive line situation being what it is. So um, look, I mean, I'm, I don't think like Kevin Stefanski is beyond reproach, but I also think to this point, he deserves the benefit of the doubt as far as the way he's going about handling this. Although this is his first preseason having to deal with playing time in the preseason. So maybe he's figuring out a little bit himself too, but um, I just think, you know, the Browns are, are, are a really smart team. And I just think if you look at like what other teams that kind of operate the way they have operated is like, I think they kind of err on the side of caution in terms of the preseason. I, I just think like the risk versus the reward doesn't really match up. It's been a kind of an argument of old school versus new school the last few weeks, right? Because you got big Ben has played uh, Mahomes has played. So they're looking at Tomlin, Andy Reid, the old school coaches versus, you know, with us, Stefanski, uh, look at the L.A. Rams. Like, none of those guys have been playing. So there, it's been a lot of discussion about the new school versus the old school, and the only way to tell is who gets further at the end of the year. No, I I, I agree. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, and I think that, you know, I think Stefanski – that's I guess that's why I kind of trend toward the guys not playing on Sunday because I think Stefanski is, is very much new school. Yeah. We, we were talking about this a little bit before you came on, Ben. Like, like if there is a way to gauge – an off season or a uh, preseason, we don't know about it. And I started giving up or pretty much gave up uh, during that hard knocks year when you're following the storylines. And Nate Orchard was a guy that was fighting to make the team. And he had like <laughs> a, an incredible pick six as a outside linebacker, DN, whatever he was. And it's like, wow, he did everything he could. Good job, buddy. Mm-hmm. And they cut him anyway. So it's like, well, well, what are we watching? What are we evaluating? Let's just get this season going, man. Well, yeah, I mean, think I about how many how many training camp like legends the Browns have had. Like we're just, uh, Josh Lenz. Uh, uh, there, there's been a handful of like wide. 
Yeah, yeah. All these wide receivers, it seems like every year there's a new training camp cult hero, and they always get cut at the end. And now, like, it's, I mean, it's kind of happened again, like with Davion Davis. I think he's really emerged. Um, And it's like, you know, based on the way he's played, like, you kind of think he, like, deserves to make the team. But it's like, they're going to struggle to figure out how to fit Kaderil Hodge and Rashard Higgins on this roster together. Like, I I don't know how that's going to work itself out. So, um, I, it, it's, it's definitely going to be strange, you know, just, it's definitely strange, I guess, seeing these guys and just like kind of knowing in the back of your head, this guy, you know, if anything, he's going to be a practice squad guy. One of the few debates that me and Kevin, I feel like are a little bit on opposite uh, sides of the aisle on, on Odell Beckham, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong in this. I think Odell is a incredible player. He's fantastic, but he may not be – he may be more valuable to other teams than he is to us. Like, if the him and Baker, they've never – granted, you know, the whole head coach, same thing, that same head coach in back-to-back years thing uh, hasn't been applied to either of them. But once Odell went, off, went down, Baker started going off, like, in the same game. Do you think he's going to be on a short leash – and so I take it Kevin is on the other side of that. So I, I don't disagree with what Raleigh just said. My thing is I want to see Odell in a full year with Stefanski. We only saw him in a few games. And, again, there's all this talk about the chemistry and this and that. We just haven't had a big enough sample size. Next year, I know, next offseason is going to be very tough in the wide receiver room. I don't want to think about that yet. I just know that Odell is one of the best pound-for-pound athletes on God's green earth. And so if he's wearing a Browns jersey, I'm ecstatic. So I agree. I'm, I'm, with, I'm, I'm more with you, Kevin, I'd say. I'm, I, and I'd actually say I'm probably firmer than both of you on it. I'm kind of like an Odell Beckham Jr. truther just because, like, I want to see it happen so bad just because he's always been one of my favorite players. And just, you know, like when, when that day they traded for him in March of 2019, like that – I'm not going to say it rivaled LeBron coming back to Cleveland, but like the excitement in the city was like similar in terms remember of like, where you oh were. my God. Yeah, exactly. It was one mm-hmm. of those, I mean, they were printing the jerseys the next day, all of that. So like, I don't know if this is my bias of me wanting to see it happen, but I think, you know, to Raleigh's point, like you can't dispute the offense got better after Odell Beckham Jr. went down last season. But Baker Mayfield and, and Kevin Stefanski, their explanation for that is we had our bye week the week after that. And the bye week is where we fixed a lot of things that, that were, were wrong with our offense. And so, um, you know, and what you, I, you wouldn't expect them to say anything different. They're not going to throw Odell under the bus. But I do think there is some validity to that sentiment that, that hey, like, we, you know, it was our first year and we really, you know, fixed things, did self-scouting, all of that. Look, like they need to figure out the Odell Beckham Jr., Baker Mayfield thing. They, those two have obviously not been on the same page for the season and a half that they've played with each other. But I also think at the same time, like what Odell does, nobody else on this roster does. And we saw that in the in the AFC division game against the Chiefs, was the Chiefs were really, you know, able to keep the wide receivers in check, key in on Nick Chubb. And I think that that, you know, if you're going to play with the big boys, if you're going to make that jump from 
wild card team to, to top of the AFC North to Super Bowl contender, like you need dynamic players like Odell Beckham Jr. stretching the field. Now, maybe Donovan Peoples-Jones can do that. Maybe Anthony Schwartz can do that. But I do think like they owe it to themselves to see if, if Odell Beckham Jr. is that player and if he can do that. And then, you know, to your point, like, yeah, I think he's on a short leash just in terms of like it's now or never. Like if they aren't going to figure this out now, you know, they, they've been at it now for – two full seasons playing together, you know, by the time we get to the halfway point of this season. And that's a pretty big sample size. So I just think it's, it, it's best for everybody involved to, to figure out if they can do it. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, Kevin, like next off season, this is probably going to take care of itself in one way or another. Yeah. And the thing is about Odell, and I'm not saying any, I'm not shattering any breaking, splitting any atoms here with this. He, there's a lot, obviously, if you're in the NFL, you're one of the best athletes in the world. All right, we're not debating that. He has, the, like you just said or alluded to, he's one of the – there's not a ton of players in the NFL who can take over and change a game by themselves. Odell Beckham is one of those players with that ceiling to do that. We've seen it in the past. Not really so much with the Browns. I guess maybe a little with the Cowboys game. That was an insane display of talent. Right, but no matter great. what, no matter if Odell – week one, he's still getting double teamed out there. Right, they're not. Mm-hmm. They don't care what he did last year, the half year, the year before. He's going to be double teamed every time, and then it takes all, other attention off, like we just said, Schwartz, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Jarvis, any of those guys. So, regardless, he's always got to have attention from that defense, and I think that's one of his biggest contributions. But yeah, and then uh, back to that KC game, we needed someone that could blow the top off of that secondary, and we didn't have that speed. I think I think that was though kind of noticeable once Odell went out is, you know, they were able to grit their way to victories and, and grind through the bad weather games and rely on the running game. But, but like I said, like, if you're going to make that jump, I just think you need somebody to stretch the field. And I like, that's why I was excited about the Anthony Schwartz pick, because I think he, at the very least, like he's a guy you have to worry about out there. Like I love Jarvis Landry. I, I like Richard Higgins. Those aren't two guys who are going to blow the top off of the defense. And having guys like Odell and, and Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz only make those guys like Higgins and Landry more valuable in my eyes. So, so to answer about the, the wide receiver room, I was listening to ESPN Cleveland earlier at radio. Uh, I know competitors of both of ours. Everyone relax. But they were saying <laughs> one of the the loopholes, if you will, was Schwartz will make that 53-man roster and they're going to IR him for three weeks. So they can repl- not, not have to cut him or throw him on the practice squad, of course, but he's not ready for week one. I think it's pretty obvious, mm-hmm. but that's a way they can keep him without having to cut him or throw him. You know, So the three weeks on IR, then we'll see him back for hopefully the Chicago game. It's kind of, uh, you know, before we move on to another topic, kind of a question is, my, my theory with Odell, everything we talked about, taking the top off the defense, having to take him into account, it, it's almost like my theory is that the best Browns-Odell combination would be Odell on the field, but not necessarily putting up insane numbers, but everyone else thriving around him, which I think my belief or common belief, whatever, is that the him-Baker combination quote-unquote not working is if there is some thought in Baker's mind that Odell needs to be his first option no matter what or that he has to force it to Odell because what you said uh, Baker and Stefanski's explanation of going off after Odell it wasn't because Odell went down it was the the bye season well 
Baker absolutely went off in the second half of that game when he went, uh, it was like 24 to of 25 mm-hmm. completions or something absurd. But either way, we're going to figure it out. So regardless of our opinions, you know, let's uh, hope that the Browns beat the shit out of any team they play uh, from now to the future. Uh, more on Odell. We had a contest last season, or excuse me, last episode, where we said if you give us a positive review um, on iTunes, the best one will get a, uh, what do you call it, jersey, which the jersey's sick. It's one of those. Uh, Color yeah, Rush, sorry. Yeah, it was sick. Color Rush. So here we go. From Atlanta, I went to the brown and orange scrimmage after prepping myself with my lawnmower 3.0 and other Manscaped tools. Shout out Manscaped. Purchased a few jerseys and other things from locker room sale. Much of it is going to be given to some random Browns fans at the company I work for. I'm also converting my boss to root for the Browns as his team, as his AFC team, since he is a WFT fan. Washington football team. Oh, thank you. I'm also going to be at the Atlanta preseason game, front row behind the Browns bench to pump up our team. That guy should have won. But he, he didn't did not, leave his name. He didn't leave any of his information. <laughs> I tried to look up Perrin on Twitter, on Instagram. Couldn't find him, so sorry, if we find sir. Him, if we find him, he doesn't get the jersey because he doesn't leave his name, but I, I, I'll buy him whatever he wants off his Able's website because he, yeah. he deserves something. Have yourself a T-shirt. So in second place, the, uh, the contest was, what did you do to help the Browns win? This guy said, I put in a baseboard in a room for a customer for free today. Twitter. PZ underscore OG. PZ underscore OG, you are the winner. Congratulations, PZ double OG. Ben, if you didn't, we haven't really explained this yet. What we've been doing <laughs> for the last several months is, we, and we stole it from somebody else, so not whatever. We ask the listeners, we ask ourselves, we're asking you, what did you, every day you wake up, you should be asking yourself, what am I going to do today to help the Browns win week one? And then when you go to bed at night, you say, what did I do today to help the Browns win week one? Um, today, I have nothing yet. It'll happen before I go to bed. Ben, anything from you? Um, so I've got to be careful. I bought my wife um, one of the new throwback jerseys. I got her uh, the the Jarvis throwback jersey for her birthday. That's hot. And so, yeah, so you've got to figure, like, that money – um, is going into the pockets of the Haslam's, which like is helping fund the team. Like I'm basically paying the players. Like I'm it's probably an ethical violation of journalism, but like, I'm like, basically like, I'm not like JW Johnson level of owner, but like, I'm kind of second in command there. So um, yeah. <laughs> hot gift. And you just gave the best segue we've had in a very long time because you talk about paying the players and journalism. <laughs> you wrote an article today on WKYC.com discussing the Baker contract and recapping the article that Jeremy Fowler of ESPN came out with this morning or yesterday. And the reports from ESPN are saying that from their sources, it doesn't look like we're going to have a Baker extension before the season starts. You wrote an article on that today, so we'll let you obviously give your piece. My thing is, in long story short, I could talk about this topic for hours. I understand, and it was expecting them to do the Chubb contract first, right? Because Chubb is not on a contract, was not on a contract after this season. I will say there's a lot of talk now about they are talking to Ward. I love Ward. Love Ward. I love what he does off the field, on the field. He's from the area. Like, I love Ward. If I'm going to be a little, I don't want to say bummed out, concerned, I'm not going to say worried, if we sign Ward to an extension before we sign Baker to an extension, 
But I guess I know there's a lot of different angles and roads we can take on this topic, but you wrote about it today. I guess what are the, the big takeaways for you on that? Honestly, like this is like how I expected this to go. Like I haven't really been surprised by any of the Baker contract stuff just because like – I don't like, I feel like sometimes like Cleveland sports fans like need to readjust the way they view contracts and contract extensions. Like the Browns are not in danger of losing Baker. Like Baker is still under contract for two more seasons. After that, they have basically the ability to franchise tack him twice. I don't think it's going to come to that. Like that's a pretty messy situation at which case Mm -hmm. like ESPN will be talking about the Browns and Baker Mayfield every day. But I do think like, so Baker I think a lot of people are conflating the fact that Baker is extension eligible with Baker being up for an extension. And those are kind of two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that Baker is eligible for an extension means that you could sign him to an extension, but who, like, I guess who benefits from them signing him to an extension right now? Because if I'm the Browns, right. I want to see one more year of Baker under Kevin Stefanski. Like, I want to make sure that 2020 wasn't a total mirage. I mean, Baker has Baker has three NFL seasons under his belt, right? He has a pretty good rookie year. He has a bad 2019. And then he has a 2020 where he was pretty bad for half the season and really good for the second half of the season. So I just, like, if I'm the Browns and I have two more years of him under contract, like, why not use – the first of those two years to further evaluate him. And then on the other side, if I'm Baker Mayfield, why am I signing my extension now? Shouldn't I like have faith in myself that I'm going to play well under Stefanski for my second season? And then a year from now, I'll be in line for a bigger contract. Like, I just don't think it benefits either side to sign that contract right now. And I guess you say like the best case scenario for both sides is Baker Mayfield plays well this year the Browns sign him to a bigger deal next year. But even if the Browns are paying him more, they feel better about it because they have that, that second year of success under Stefanski. So I just think like this was always heading to next season and maybe something happens mid season. If he starts off playing really well and and they can come to a number that works, but I just don't think like this is the time for really either side to lock themselves into a long-term deal. It's certainly not talked about in the media and it may just be uh a classic concept that us mortals will never understand, but we uh, we're talking to, we're praying and hoping that the Browns extend uh, Wyatt Teller as well. Uh, we didn't mm-hmm. talk about it on the podcast, but people don't realize that it's like, yeah, he'd love to sign with the Browns, but it's almost like, you know, you're waiting for the call. I wonder if there's a mental component to that. It's like, you know, we want yeah. Baker to be focused on this season and balling out. But is that the question mark looming? Like, is that it could affect different players differently? But do you have you ever thought about the concept of does the question mark of a contract affect somebody's performance, like an unnecessary pressure, so to speak? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think. Like, that's a real thing. But I also think, like, I don't think, like I said, I don't think Baker's in danger of going anywhere. Like, I think he's pretty locked in in Cleveland as as their starting quarterback on at least another contract. And so I guess if, you, if you're Baker, you know, I'd say right now, like, you're probably in that 35 to $40 million a year range. 
if you come out and ball out next year, like it's not inconceivable that you could get a Josh Allen deal or bigger than a Josh Allen deal. Like that he's kind of set the market right now for quarterbacks. So I think Baker has like more security than somebody like a Wyatt Teller does. But I do think like, you know, you get to that level, you have a certain level of confidence. You think it's going to go well. You're not, you're, you're not worried. You're more, you know, I think if if you're Baker Mayfield, like you're hopeful that this is the year you're going to show out. Yeah. He's always (laughs) bet on himself. Rightfully so. Mm -hmm. That's why you say when it affects you mentally, I think it does affect him mentally. I think in a positive way, there's no animosity between Baker and the mm-hmm. team right now uh, at all. I think that's pretty obvious and pretty clear. I, there's a lot of things flying around. There's people saying that the analytics side of the house has a n- different number in mind than the football side of the house in, in the Browns organization, which is fine. Not that there's, you know, we're not a house divided anymore like it was years ago when no one got along or no one liked each other in that building in Berea. But it's just going to be super interesting to play out. And the one thing, though, is, again, I know we're going to extend Denzel Denzel can't even Denzel is rarely on the field. All right. He hasn't practiced until what I think today he got back for the first time this training camp. Again, Denzel's locked down, number one cornerback. Love him. But again, if we sign him to an extension before Baker, even though you could sit there and do the X's and O's and all the numbers and all the reasons, pros and cons and whatnot, I, I'm still afraid that that puts a little bit of a little bit, just a teeny bit of uneasiness in a lot of people like, does that mean the Browns are not fully bought in on this idea they're selling? But at the same time, you know, it's not Baker's fault that essentially he had to start all over again last year with Stefanski and the two years before that really don't count because it wasn't that front office. It wasn't that coach. And so they really had to start over with last year. Um, So maybe this year is something that he wants to go out and and show out and get a bigger contract. Um, I just let, you know, every single day they ask him, in that press conference room, you're in there, you see it. Baker, what's the update on the contract? And I truly believe when he says, guys, I don't have a fucking clue. He doesn't say the F word I did. Sorry, mom. He's like, my age is like, I, I'm trying to get ready for the season. And I, JC Treader said it earlier on an interview that I listened to. Baker says it every day now to the media. These things truly do work themselves out. And I truly believe that those guys don't just say that to say it. They truly believe that it just works itself out. If you go out there and just play, keep your head down, that stuff just comes along naturally. Yeah. You know, I, I think the other thing about this that's that's interesting is they just have so many contracts coming up. I mean, this offseason alone, I mean, not coming up, but guys who are ex- either coming up or extension eligible. So you have Baker and Denzel are extension eligible. You have Nick Chubb was uh, coming up. Uh, Wyatt Tell is coming up. Um, and so – I think because Baker is going to be the most complicated piece of all of this and just because mm-hmm. he's going to have the biggest number, like maybe you just wait until next offseason because, I mean, I don't want to name names, but you can go on, on Spotrack and, and look. There's a lot of con- big contracts on this roster right now that they're probably going to be moving on from a year from now. So mm-hmm. I think just as long – I mean, the other thing is, I, you know, I, I do think you're right. I could say all that, but then – if they sign Denzel to a big contract, like what sense does any of that make? But the report from Jeremy Fowler today was that the Browns and Denzel aren't very close and that it doesn't look like a extension is going to get done. So, um, you know, I think if they can just kind of play out the string to next off season, like that gives you some more pieces you can move around 
um, and figure out, are we going to keep Wyatt Teller? Are we going to cut, you know, player X? Um, I just think like the more information that they can have, like I think that's how this front office tries to operate. Speaking of cuts, you can't cut anything unless you have a sharp tool. Specifically, the hair on your body needs a great razor. Raleigh, you know exactly where I'm going with this. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode today is brought to you once again by our friends over at Manscaped. Do you use Manscaped? Raleigh and I do. Ben is going to start using Manscaped after this episode because we're about to give him oh, the hookup. Oh, I already up. use it. See, we don't have to try anymore. It's just so natural. But uh, Manscaped, please keep paying us because we're still going to need more customers. Don't worry. Ladies and gentlemen, go to manscaped.com. Type in the code FANSIDED20. Get the lawnmower 4.0. It's waterproof. It's the best shave I've ever had. I'm not reading off copy. Uh, it's true. It's waterproof. Keep it in the shower. It's awesome. Manscaped.com. Fansided20 is the code you're going to type in for 20% off your first order and free shipping. That's manscaped.com. Use promo code Fansided20. Join the Manscaped Club. It's legit. Another great loop-in ad read by us. Thank you. Uh, now, speaking of cuts, real cuts in football, let's talk about Cody Parkey and the new kicker who no one knows how to pronounce his last name yet, Chase McLaughlin, McLaughlin, whatever. What are we thinking here? I mean, some people are saying now that McLaughlin has just outplayed him all camp, and this is going to happen anyway. And just you know, him having an injury, I guess, softens that blow a little bit from people that really like Parkey. I like Parkey for what he did with the playoffs last year. I don't care what happened before all that shit. Um, but Ben, thoughts? We're we're for the ninth, what ninth straight year we have a new kicker in town. Yeah, and I. I don't think that's like necessarily a bad thing. Like I think having a good kicker is kind of a luxury and it's just looking at the way the Browns have operated under this front office. Like they're going to make it up as they go. Like, you know, they, if a, if a kicker uh, isn't performing, if Austin cyber isn't performing, they're not going to be afraid to cut him and, and bring in Cody Parkey. Like I think, you know, like as much as everybody loves Phil Dawson, like I think you would probably have, rather have the reverse problem where you're you have a really good roster and you know you're you're figuring out that ideally you you have both but I, I I don't think the Browns are afraid to figure out the kicker thing as they go I guess so I mean I, I think Chase McLaughlin's got the job um they brought back Cody Parkey obviously for a reason so it wasn't ideal for him to get hurt but um you know th- they brought in Chase McLaughlin he's played pretty well he kicked like a 49 yard field goal against the Giants um and if he doesn't perform uh you know, on a game to game basis, like they could have a new kicker. I, they're not going to, he's not going to have a long leash. Ben, uh, before we let you go, can we ask you a couple of questions about some of those big name rookies we picked up in the off season uh, on the defensive side of the ball? JOK, are you seeing anything in training camp or on the field? I don't know. Give me some JOK facts. Sell them to me. Sell them to yeah. me, Ben. So- so it was like it was weird because just because he came in late with all the COVID stuff, and so like you didn't get that like first initial like burst of buzz with him because he he came in behind and and he you know was kind of coming along slowly, and then he comes in in the uh, preseason opener against Jacksonville and just like totally balls out. So I don't know how much you can read into preseason games, but like they put him in a position to to ball out and, and he took advantage of it. So. Um, I'm excited about him and like he always made a lot of sense for this 
team. And um, it's going to be interesting because I think linebacker obviously was a position that they had to address in the offseason. And this front office, I don't think you're going to see them put a whole lot of emphasis on the linebacker position. So the fact that they did trade up for him and take him in the second round, um, that tells you that they like him a lot. And, you know, my, my like rule of thumb on rookies is, you know, you draft guys in the first three rounds to play. So um, I think he's going to play. Maybe he won't start right away, but I think they'll, they'll put him in that kind of Swiss army knife role. And um, maybe it's not something where he's contributing against Kansas city week one, but maybe it's something where, you know, the back half of the season, a little bit like Jacob Phillips last season, where, where he starts to come on. Um, and, and a lot of it depends on what they do at the other linebacker spots and, and who makes the roster. And on that, Greg Newsom, uh, his t- I swear evaluating a cornerback is the hardest position in my opinion to evaluate because if you're seeing them make plays, that means they're throwing at them. <laughs> it's almost like, right. you know, you're never watching. If a guy is locked down, then they're avoiding him all the time. Uh, were there any takeaway? I'm looking at PFF. He had, I think, the second highest grade on the team He's on starting. the defensive side of the ball. He's starting. Yeah. Yeah. I. So the thing about Greg Newsom that's, like, so refreshing is what the Browns had the number 26 pick. Uh, in the draft and like when they came up like it was like okay this should be Greg Newsom and like you wouldn't typically get that in the back half of the 20s in in the NFL drafted but everybody knew like corner was the Browns biggest need heading into the draft Greg Newsom was a guy who who clearly checked all the boxes of what you would think this front office would like and they get to the podium and they take Greg Newsom and like I think he's going to be a stud like I really do and I just think like the fact that they drafted him into a position where he can start opposite Denzel Ward like I, I just think that's ideal and I've never I've never really considered it much of a competition between him and Greedy Williams like I've just kind of always assumed that he would ultimately win out and, and I think that's kind of where we're at now with this I think there's maybe what three or four Browns players left on this team that haven't had a hamstring injury yet this, this training camp <laughs> if are these injuries that if it was in the season they'd still be going are they just being extra precautious or what the hell is going on with all these hamstrings? Do you have any insight into that? Because I, I can't – it's so, starting to blow my mind. Yeah, like I think it's kind of like a case-by-case thing. Like I think I think the reality with Anthony Schwartz, and maybe it's something that has to do with how he runs or how fast he is or whatever, like he's probably a guy who is going to be questionable like more weeks than he isn't. Like it, that's probably just like something we're going to have to get used to and – you know, guys as fast as him don't typically fall to the third round. So, especially now in the NFL. So, like, I just think, like, with with him, you're going to have to probably get used to him dealing with a, a nagging hamstring injury. Um, I know it wasn't officially listed as a hamstring injury, but I think Denzel Ward's injury for the last two weeks has been soreness. Um, I wonder if there was something to do with his contract negotiations where um, – because that's what happened with Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb – sat out like basically the week before he signed his deal. And I'm not saying that's like Denzel Ward holding out. I'm saying that maybe the team said, Hey, while we're going through this, like we know you don't need the practice. Like let's just keep you healthy so that we don't sign you and you get hurt or whatever. Like, you know, it's one of those things where I I wonder if that had something to do with his contract negotiations and maybe they, they came to an impasse and that's why he's back on the field. Um, but yeah, I mean, Look, they they do not um, 
the, the hamstring injuries have been noticeable, but they also entered camp like as healthy as I can remember. I don't think there was, other than JOK having, you know, the COVID issue, I don't think there was one player who was on their quote-unquote injured list on, on the first day of training camp. And these things are going to happen. So the fact that they've had very uh, few catastrophic injuries to this point in the offseason, like, I think I, I I think that's the thing to focus on rather than the the nagging hamstring injuries. Ben, we appreciate having people like you come on to add a little bit of uh, intelligence to our podcast and a much higher <laughs> IQ on what's going on there because you actually get to see it. So appreciate you taking the time, ladies and gentlemen. Ben Axelrod of WKYC Channel Three. You can find him on Twitter at Ben Axelrod. That's A X E L R O D. I'll have it all in the episode description as well. Sir, thank you very much again for your time. Look forward uh, to getting a beer with you when you're not in the media box at one of the games this year with Raleigh and myself. But thank you again, sir. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Good seeing you again, man. For Raleigh, for Mr. Axelrod, for myself, good night, Cleveland. the story goes.